comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Random audio files. files. Welcome to Random Audio Files. I'm Frank A. Rincon. While Half Hour Waste is on hiatus, I decided to go through my old audio files and see if I could find anything to kind of throw into the feed, keep the feed going. And I came across an interview that I had done back in, let me look at my notes, it was October of 2010, and it was with this woman, I was sitting in Starbucks, um, started a conversation with a woman, we started talking, turned out she was with, or she had done some work with the Peace Corps, and it became very fascinating. We talked for a while, and I realized, you know, I need to interview her, because she's just really interesting. Had my recorder with me, pulled it out, and asked about her experiences with the Peace Corps. Now, if you're not familiar with the Peace Corps, what it is, what they do, Catherine, um, the woman that I'm interviewing, she does a great job of explaining it and what they do and what their mission is and all that. So uh, next, I'll go ahead and play that interview for you. And then after that, I'd like to promote an online radio station that I recently came across that I really like and I'd like to share with you guys. So here's that interview. Mic check, testing one, two. Mic check, testing one, two. Okay, we're recording. All right, first, tell me your name. Catherine Stevens. Okay, now, uh, Catherine, uh, we were just sitting at a table here in Starbucks, and we struck up a conversation, and you told me you did some work with the Peace Corps, and how some people didn't know what the Peace Corps was about. So, first, why don't you tell me what the Peace Corps is? It's funded by the, the U.S. government. Under Kennedy's administration, it started, and its point was to go to uh, underdeveloped countries and help do development work. So Peace Corps has three main goals. One is I'm learning a new culture. I'm benefiting. One is I'm sharing my culture with an, another population. And the third is sustainable development. Wow, okay. So that's really interesting. So why did you decide to volunteer? Um, because it's, it's really hard work. It's, sure. it's, it's very, so you have to be very devoted to do something like this. So why did you decide, or why did you decide to do it? Uh, I was very fortunate in the fact that I came out of college. I mean, I didn't do four years, I did five, which isn't, I mean, it's normal now, but it wasn't then. And I mean, I didn't have loans, I didn't know anybody anything, and I thought, you know, I've never really wanted for anything, and there's so many, there's, there's so many populations in this world that do want for something, and I kind of wanted to see the other side from where I've lived. And, you know, I could do a mission trip and see, or, you know, I've been to Mexico with my family on vacation, and you see poverty, but it's different when you live in it. And I just wanted that other perspective for my life. Okay, tell me where you, where you went um, for your trip, and how long were you there? I went to Paraguay in South America. I was, I was there for 16 months because I came back for back surgery, but... Um, I, li I lived in a rural community, probably 13 hours away from the capital of Asuncion, and I lived in a small village of maybe 200 people. I was about three hours from a paved road, and I didn't have indoor plumbing. Their running water was sporadic, electricity was sporadic, and I just lived among kind of, um, they weren't indigenous anymore. But recently in the news, they, there was a thing where uh, the indigenous people's land is being taken away by cattle people from Brazil 
cattle ranchers and they're stealing their land, burning the forests. And so there, there were some people in my community like that. Par Paraguay is actually a recognized bilingual nation. So when I went there, I had to take language classes for Spanish as well as Guarani, which is their indigenous language. And there are people there that don't speak Spanish where I lived because it's so rural. And, the, and so that was my job. I worked in the health post with a nurse on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, doing rural health and sanitation work. Wow, so what did that involve? The nurse was actually really proactive for public health, and so Paraguay has socialized medicine. Actually, it's a pretty decent model of what we could use here. Um, and so she would go into the regional hospital and get all the vaccinations, and so on Tuesdays and Thursdays, she would go around town, and then as well as on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we'd go into the schools, and we would do all the vaccinations for everybody. And she had a really rudimentary manual process where she had a little notebook like a kid would take to school with a little cartoon on the front but she had written everybody's name in the community and she had all of their vaccinations in that one book but she made sure that everybody was properly vaccinated there was a big uh, health movement with UNICEF and UNICEF came in and gave all of the health promoters of every town um, like these really easy to read easy to understand cartoon esque graphs and maps. So this baby is this age. It should have had this, this, and this vaccination. And she she made sure everybody had every vaccination. She was really great. So that wasn't typical of everybody's community, but it was of ours. And so we would do that. And then uh, we put stitches in a lady that dropped a knife on her foot. Little little things like that, which we would go to, like say, an emergency room. But there, that's unheard of. And so you could just go over to the health post, which is open from 7 in the morning till 1 in the afternoon and get taken care of. So what were some of the biggest challenges you had working out there? I mean, let's start with communication. What was communication like with the outside world? Um, I had a cell phone, which is funny, but whenever there's a windstorm, the tower would blow down. So I did it. My nearest English-speaking neighbor was about 10K away from my house. And so I saw her from time to time, but I would go months without speaking English. I read books in English, but um, Peace Corps is really good with language, and so you learn your first three months while you're there. You go Monday through Saturday to language class with host country nationals that teach. And so, and you have to take a language proficiency test at the end of your three months of in-country training. And so, as far as that goes, that was good, but, you know, I would make it to the internet cafe maybe once a month to email home. I'm doing well, everything's good, stuff like that, but yeah, it was interesting. Uh, but that was a very big challenge, communication in the beginning, and I, I made a fool of myself many times referring to some uh, my own anatomy when I was asking about the bread on the table or something <laughs> silly, you know, but it was really good. What about, um, let's say, entertainment? I mean, you're a totally different country. Did they have like radio, television, stuff like that? They did. Um, actually, my neighbors would always brag to me that they were the first family with a JVC. So they had a little 13-inch television, and they were proud of that television. And then they had a radio, which got about four channels. So they would use the television to watch the news at noon. And then and in the morning, they would kind of watch the news, see what the weather was going to be, because it's an agrarian society. So they would watch the news in the morning and then listen to the radio, basically for music. And for entertainment, the men would work in the fields, you know, a 12, 14-hour day, 
there's no such thing as a plow there. There's no such thing as a tractor. They're doing acres and acres by hand with a plow or with a hoe, and that's all they have. So when they would get home, they liked to drink heavily and play volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> what was the um, what were they growing there? Uh, in my community, they actually grew cassava and. Um, like a, it's similar to a pumpkin, but it's green on the outside. Um, black beans, um, sesame seeds, and tomatoes were basically what they grew out there. I bought seeds for watermelons because they asked, hey, can we have $200? And I said, hey, that's more than I make in a month. And I said, but check this out. I'll go to town for you, buy $10, $15 a seeds, which they didn't have that discretionary income. And I said, I'll buy the seeds. You sell, you sell whatever you get from the profits. It, it doesn't matter. You know, what do you think you can grow and make the most money? And they said, watermelons. <laughs> so I got the first watermelon of the crop. They carved my name on it with a knife, and, and they sold the rest. And I, I don't know if they made $200, but they made decent money enough to repair their motorcycle or whatever it was they wanted the money for. So it was good. Wow, okay. So, um... What was the food like there? What was uh, what was the dinner like? I mean, was it a? Are you? I take. Are you well traveled? Have you have you been yes. around the place? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about their food compared to what you would have here in the states. Uh, it's really bland, really basic. I mean, it, when you kill a pig there, for instance, you you use that pig for probably three months until you kill another one, and so they would basically shave the fat off of the pig. Well, they would shave the skin and the fat off, fry that, eat that, just with salt. And then shave the fat off, boil it down in a pot, and use that for oil to hold food together. So they would mix that with flour and maybe some cumin, maybe cut up a green onion and deep fry that batter, and that's dinner. And that's breakfast. Because that's all the money they have. Meat is a rarity there. And everything is really bland. People think, oh, Latin America, spicy. No, they hate spices. They think that a green pepper is spicy. (laughs) And so everything was just really bland, really hearty, because when you're doing that much manual labor, you have to have that to sustain you. A lot, they would when I would go to town, sometimes they'd ask, hey, could you get some pasta? Because they, that was kind of a special thing, too. Okay. And, and they would cut up maybe an onion and a garlic really, really finely and put that in the food with maybe some tomato paste if I bought that for them. But that was fancy. Okay. What were some of the biggest hardships you had there? Uh, it was toughening away from family and friends, but I would say the fact that you can't make people understand our culture and you can't push our culture on somebody else and if, when, when it's not self-evident to somebody like hey maybe we should vaccinate our children or hey maybe we shouldn't use the same bowl that we just picked up dirt with in the front yard to cook in because we're getting sick continuously when you can't make people understand that it was just tough and it was tough because it's not self-evident and until it's self-evident for them they're not going to change So I felt sometimes like, man, this is so futile what I'm trying to explain to them. Because it's like, you know, what would we say if somebody came in from the outside and said, oh, you should probably try to do X. And we're saying, well, for 100 years, my family's done Y. So it was just, with cultural differences, it was hard. Do you feel you made a difference? I would say that I did. I would say, I mean, I know that selfishly it made a big difference in me and who I am. But I would say just spending time with people, not not even the work that I did as far as, I, I did a big project. I built wood-burning ovens, sanitary latrines, and sinks in people's houses. 
sure that makes a difference and sure they have that now and they have a little bit cleaner way of doing things but I would say just relationships that I built with people made the biggest difference. Okay so if someone were to come up to you and ask or they don't know if they should join the Peace Corps what would you say to them? That's tough. That's really tough just because of budgetary issues right now with, within the program. I mean, there's not that much money to do things. So, for instance, there's a book, Living Poor. It's the first, the first group of volunteers. This guy goes to uh, somewhere in Latin America. His town needs a plow. He goes to Peace Corps, gets the plow. His town needs a tractor. He goes to Peace Corps, gets a tractor, and so he can sustain development work. And then I feel like, for me, I would go 13 hours in the Capitol and they would say, uh, here's some paper, find your own markers and draw something up. So it's really tough. I mean, yes, I could get anti-parasite pills from, from the embassy, but as far as really giving them something sustainable, I felt like I couldn't do it. Now, um, just explain a little bit more about that. Here's some paper and markers. I didn't quite understand that. Uh, their thing was like, well, you need to teach. You need you need to do capacitation so they learn a new way of doing things to change. And so just draw it up on a piece of paper. But we're just in a world now, no matter where you are. I mean, they have they have telenovelas, you know, soap operas. They see the way people are in other parts of the world with their two t channels on TV. Drawing something on a piece of paper, it's not tangible. You know, that's what the world wants now, if we're being honest. So drawing something on a piece of paper, that they just kind of say, yeah, yeah, what are you going to give us? So I tried to do community gardens. And I thought, you know, hey, everybody. And, and then I did cooking classes with Eating Healthy. But they said, yeah, that's nice, but our chickens get into the garden you built. Uh, can we please have a fancy fence? And I said, well, look at my house. I paid the neighbor if he could cut down two coconut trees in his fields, and I used that, and I tied it together to twine, and it works. And they said, yeah, but it's ugly. Can you go to town and spend, you know, $150 on something nice for us? So it's just hard. It's hard, you know, the idealism, I think, of put this on a piece of paper and, and they're going to buy it, it didn't work. Yeah, it sounds like there, there's a lot of influence from, like you mentioned, the telenovelas, the outside world and what they have, and so they automatically want something nicer than what they need. Exactly, exactly, and I mean, it's hard. And you can't explain, well, you have to start somewhere, because they say, yeah, 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 but look at you, you're from America. You can go back to America. You've been on a plane. You have a family. You, you know, you, you have air conditioning in your house. Here we are, it's 108 degrees outside, and I'm waving a palm frond in front of my face trying to keep cool. So it's just hard. Okay, yeah. So I'm almost sensing maybe some resentment almost. Is that, would you say that's accurate? Uh, I would say in the beginning that I was just because I wanted to give more. Well, I mean resentment on their part, like, oh, you get, you look at everything you have and look what we don't have. Very much so, and it made it hard for me personally because I was the third volunteer in my area. And so they said, okay, this person came, we didn't get anything. That person came, we didn't get anything. Now you're here and we're still not getting anything. What gives? And it, I, my hands were tied, and I mean, I think part of that goes into the fact that there are there isn't a very big of a budget, so for Peace Corps to go and do site development and maybe say like, hey, this community really could use X and we can provide that. They don't have the resources to do it right now. And I think maybe, I mean, every presidential campaign, like we're gonna double the Peace Corps, we're gonna double volunteers. Well, that doesn't do anything when you're not giving them anything to build. And I think that that's a big problem right now. Uh, one final question. You were talking about how 
you were going around and, and mentioning that you had worked with Peace Corps, and some people had never even heard of it. Now, that kind of astounds me. You know, I'm a little older, but I'm familiar with Peace Corps. I mean, when people said that, what was going through your head? Uh, what rock do you live under? <laughs> and that's, that's really ugly of me. But yeah, I mean, people just, I, I feel like here we're not culturally aware. And I, I feel like, yeah, I did Peace Corps, and people are saying, you know, oh, yeah, that's cool, you know. Where did you get to travel? Did you get a backpack here up? No, that's not what I did. And it's really frustrating to me because I feel like when I came back with the economy the way it is, it's like I felt like, oh, I, you know, I have a college education now. I have this great experience. I'm more well-rounded as a person. I'm really going to get ahead. And then I came back and I felt like while I was doing that, like the world was working. Or the United States is working. The United States is building experience. And then I go into job interviews, and they're like, yeah, I see this. You did good things, but you don't have job experience. And, oh, cool, you got a backpack around. No, I actually stayed in one location, you know, and lived among a population. And they're like, yeah, why would you do that? It's just lack of awareness, I think. And I, there are so many things going on right now in America, good or bad, and I think just people aren't aware. Okay, well, I want to thank you so much for your time. Oh, no, you're welcome. Thank you. Next, I wanted to introduce you to an online radio station I happened across called Radio Dismuke. And Dismuke is spelled D-I-S-M-U-K-E, radiodismuke.com. And what they do is they play music from the 1920s and 1930s. In fact, uh, let me read a blurb from the front of their webpage. Discover the exciting music from one of the most vibrant decades in popular culture and entertainment. From the boom times of the roaring 20s to the hard times of the Great Depression, Radio Dismuke features original 78 recordings from 1925 to 1935. It can be heard at no cost from anywhere in the world by anyone with an internet connection and a sound card equipped computer. While the website may be dated, you can still listen to the stream. It works. Uh, in fact, I listen to Radio Dismuke on my telephone. And you know, sometimes in the afternoon, I'll even um, turn it on in my house and just kind of listen to it. It's a lot of fun. I really want to encourage you guys to check it out. What I'll do next is I'll play a little bit of their stream for you, like probably two songs, just so you'll kind of get a feel of what they sound like. And uh, I hope you check them out. For Brad and Bill, I'm Frank. And Half Hour Wasted will be back. We promise. Take care.
great music of the 1920s and 1930s deserves to have an appreciative modern audience. You can help it find that audience. Why not email your friends right now? Let them know about the wonderful music you're enjoying right here on Radio Dismuke. Radio Dismuke.com. Happy Music Radio.com. Mm-hmm. 